0: Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing DirectSuggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With DirectSuggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. DirectSuggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs $0.50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with DirectSuggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. DirectSuggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching it. Um, and wherever that might be in the world that you are. Uh, This week, we're going to be speaking a lot about chronic illness, actually, and chronic illness in the workplace. And uh, Julie Hamilton is my guest this week, and she's going to walk us through all of the implications as well as her own experience. So let me tell you a little bit about Julie. Julie Hamilton has over 20 years of human resource management experience and has been a certified fibromyalgia coach for over seven years. She was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in 2009. As a human resources director, she knew the resources to use such as family medical leave and family medical leave act and workplace accommodations to help her with the tasks she was struggling with. She didn't need to worry about her job when she needed to take time off for flare days or medical appointments. She went from missing two to four days per month to missing two days or less a year. Then after relocating to Ohio, her chronic illness made it impossible for her to work. And that is when she decided to become a certified fibromyalgia coach and learn to manage her fibromyalgia. She's gone from being in bed 90% of her life to walking three miles a day and even participated in her first 10K. She now helps professionals who have fibromyalgia maintain their careers and regain an active social life. Her goal is to help companies create an inclusive environment for the chronically ill and assisting them in implementing policies to benefit both the employee and the company. She understands what it takes to make it work and can educate a company and the employee on how this collaboration can work. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, uh, to join you as this is a very... um, passionate topic for me, one that um, I really am passionate about going in with companies and talking about, working with employees about it, and and all of that. So,
0: Yeah, well, we really appreciate it. This is not a subject that we've broached on the podcast before, um, and I'd love to maybe start at the top. What, can you help us to define chronic illness um, and even what your experience has been in basically understanding that you, you know, had you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a chronic illness, and then how you were able to then, or what you did to be in the work in the workforce and manage through what your experience was.
1: Okay. Well, a chronic illness is defined as something that's long-term. So nine months, year, lifelong. And you seek medical attention on a regular basis. So something like a broken leg is not considered chronic illness or a flu or pneumonia because it's not really long term. It's not going to last the, basically the lifespan of a person. So that's kind of what it is. Um, and for me, it was kind of probably easier for me than most people because I was in HR. I had been working with FMLA since its inception, you know, I've been working with ADA and job accommodation. So I had done all that. Um, So I kind of had that expertise. Mm -hmm. What was really new is having a chronic illness and learning how to manage that and how does that fit in to the workplace and what is available for me to use so that's when i started utilizing the fmla you know um and i think it's important that it's one administered correctly but two that the doctor fills it out appropriately because i think it's very important that it's filled out as intermittent because i i kind of explain intermittent. I take it back to like cancer because it's probably easiest for some people to understand with that because you have treatments you go to chemo so you're at work you take your chemo treatment you're sick and so you're off work and then you come back to work and then you have your treatment and you're off for a bit and then you come back so that would be intermittent versus let's say um where you broke your leg where you're just off 8 weeks so mm-hmm. intermittent is kind of when you're sick so it would cover like your flares for me it was my fibro flares it could be lupus your lupus inflammations it could be celiac disease i mean it could be any of those things when you need to be away from your job and it helps protect your job so you're focusing on making yourself feel better and your health versus worrying and the stress which can make you be sicker um mm-hmm. you're not worrying about your job so that's mm-hmm. kind of where i was lucky and that aspect because i knew what that would pertain
0: sure yeah most people seek help from HR professionals like you and me to understand what their options are. So I can understand that when you were, you know, at first dealing with your own chronic illness, that having these resources not only accessible to you, but something that you actually execute on and are an expert in, that that was probably really, really helpful. Yes. And and that said, I mean, was there ever a point where, and, and feel free if this is asking too personal a question, but was there ever a point where FMLA didn't cut it? Like where you exhausted your FMLA and you had to use additional resources? Because I think this, I've seen this come up in my own HR experience where an employee is in need of more time off and a company will either go above and beyond to figure out what that looks like, or, you know, there's another set of processes that are are followed after that.
1: Um, For me, it, it met my needs, you know, because like, like my bio said, I was sick two to four days a month, and when I learned to manage it, it was maybe one to two days a year. Right. But I have worked with clients that exhausted their FMLA, and some of them, you know, and, and I would clarify here, it depends on the company, and it depends on your boss, how understanding and how willing they are, Um, if it's black and white, or if they'll kind of go outside of that black and white box and seek outside sources. So some of them have been terminated after they've exhausted their FMLA. Some of them, if they have short-term disability available, long-term disability, um, you know, just what is the company willing to work with you? Mhm, so mm-hmm. it can be a gray area for a lot of people and and, as you and I know, sometimes that gray area can get us in trouble, but that's kind of where sometimes we have to work,
0: yeah, absolutely I think it it always comes down to you know are we doing right by the person can is this something that we could do for others should it come up, and okay. what is what would we want afforded to us if we were in that situation? That's usually how i I like to be able to think about the gray area, at least when it comes to health and and medical needs and, and accommodations. And with that, I'd love to um, dig into a little bit of your experience that you have with coaching um, others in these last almost a decade. Um, what are some of the things that you have learned about chronic illness in working with others who have chronic illness illnesses?
1: Um, that... You have to be willing to put in the work to feel better, that it's not a magic pill. You have to try to build a rapport with uh, your coworkers and your boss. Then you know how much you can share with them. Um, And I think for employers, we have to have that open door, open line of communication with our staff to learn what their challenges are, you know, and, uh, what kind of accommodations can we do for them?
0: Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have this data, but is there a, is there a data point that you can share around how many employees suffer from chronic illness in the workplace, at least in the United States? Is there an understanding of this?
1: I don't have it specifically for the workplace, but in general, six out of 10 uh, US citizens have one chronic illness, four out of 10 have two or more. And so yeah. if you have 100 employees and you think no one has a chronic illness, you'd be shocked if you really knew your, your staff, Wow, what people are dealing with.
0: Wow. Yeah. It makes me think about, you know, how little we might know about people that we're working alongside or working with, um, because people do keep things like this very close to the chest. And I know just in general that a lot of people, you know, don't want to share that they're going through something, um, or that they have a chronic illness because of, Whatever stigmas might exist, or any you know misconceptions that there might be around their ability to be productive and mm-hmm. uh, you know high performing in the workplace, can you speak to that at all?
1: Yes, um, actually, I'd like to read a little paragraph from my book. Please, um, I did publish a book called Chronic Illness at Work: How Managers Can Support Employees with Chronic Illness, and I think this kind of ties into what you're asking. Um, individuals with long-term illnesses should not live in fear of losing their jobs because they are ill. They should be able to go to work and feel they are working in a safe place that has their best interest in mind. For some, working may be the one place they feel like a human being where they are seen and heard, where they forget their health struggles just for a little bit. Hmm. And someone with a chronic illness When we're at home and we're not feeling good, that's all we can focus on. How awful we feel, why we're so tired of this. That's where the depression and anxiety come in. But if we can go to work and feel like we're productive and don't have that fear of losing our jobs, it can take our mind off of our illness. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for most of us, we need that job because we need that insurance.
0: Mhm. That's a great point. I mean, insurance and in, in general is a major factor in why someone stays yeah. at a company or chooses a particular role or works a job that they, you know, that they're in. And I can imagine that on top of all of the things that someone with a chronic illness is dealing with, figuring out how they're going to pay medical bills or where they're going to get insurance from is not the thing that they want to focus on. Um, and and that said, I mean are there are there ways or, or recommendations even that you have for listeners who maybe are learning from this episode that there are so many I mean six out of ten individuals who have chronic illness or suffer from chronic illnesses what recommendations would you have for them to m- ensure that the workplace is more, inclusive and accommodating for these individuals, and or is there anything that kind of serves as a bare minimum that companies should have to ensure that they're offering the right benefits and the right resources?
1: What I would recommend is reviewing your policies to make sure that um, they are inclusive to include people with chronic illnesses. I think training is very important, not only for the management staff, but also for the support staff so they understand, you know, somebody may have a medical condition that requires an accommodation, but I'm not going to tell you as their co-worker why they, you perceive them to have special treatment because I can't talk about that. That's confidential. It's, And I use the water cooler, but I know there's no water coolers anymore. (laughs) And I don't even think there was water coolers in my whole HR time. But, you know, that stigma or the coffee pot or something like that, where you stand around and you say, oh, Julie has fibromyalgia. So, you know, she's sick a lot. And we're doing this for, them, we're doing this. That's not something that everybody should know about, and and you shouldn't be sharing that with everyone because that's where that HIPAA comes into place. You know, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and that is not sharing that confidential information. Um, so I think training is huge, reviewing the policies, and making sure that your support staff, your managers, everyone. Is familiar with what is available. I think that's the key there is so many employees don't know even know what's available or where to go ask. Who do I ask? Do I ask my boss? Do I go to HR? What if we don't have HR? What if my boss is understanding? You know, those kind of things. So I think that's where a lot of that training comes in. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that training. There are sources for that, you know, maybe there's EAP sources or there's special training groups that do that, you know, have coaches come in like myself or somebody with lupus or somebody with thyroid issues or, you know, there's your coaches that specialize in different things. And so have them come in and train. Have them come in, maybe have a panel of them and talk to your managers about, okay, this is what you're going to see with this issue, or this is what I see in my clients that are dealing with companies similar to yours, or these are accommodations that somebody with this illness would need.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that this made me think of, I'm kind of reflecting back on what you read from your book, but also what we were talking about before in terms of FMLA. And the first reflection that I had is that there are probably listeners, likely just statistically alone, um, who deal with chronic illnesses or a chronic illness and potentially are living in a state of fear Mm-hmm. for, you know, whether or not they can mention this, what they should do, how they should, you know, go about dealing with their chronic illness and and navigating through that in the workplace. And of course, the majority of listeners are in HR or looking to get mm-hmm. into HR. And so there is, it's so funny. Sometimes I'm sure you can relate to this. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We know exactly what can and can't happen legally. And yet, we tend to be the ones living in fear sometimes because of whatever it is that we're confronted with. Um, And so I don't know if you have seen other clients maybe in HR. Is this something that is resonating with you?
1: I have only worked with one individual that actually worked in HR and it was very hard for her to understand to stand up for herself and take time for herself Mm. because I don't know I in HR I feel like we have to wear so many hats and we put out so many fires and we deal with all this stuff and everybody comes to HR do this do this do this do this manage this talk to this you know that that's what we're focusing on and we forget That if we don't put ourselves first and take care of ourselves first, there is no way we can do our job right, take care of our family, just do any of that. And so I think that, and I also think that's especially hard for females versus males, because somewhere in our mind, we have that stigma, we have to do it all and we have to do it all perfectly. We have to Mm -hmm. be you know, have a great job and be successful. We have to be a great mom. We have to be a great wife. We have to be, keep the house perfect, you know, all of that. And we bring some of that stress on ourselves. And so we never put ourselves first. We put maybe our husband and kids and our job and our friends. And where do we fall in all of that? So, Right.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. a really great point. It, there are so many stigmas, whether it's a, the stigma that you had just mentioned that, that women are confronted with or whether it's really those of us in HR who are mm-hmm. struggling to take our own advice. Um, right. And you know the, the other reflection that I had before was that not every company or not every individual, I should say, will qualify for FMLA depending on the number of employees in their company. And then also there are um, some states that, let's say there's a company that doesn't uh, meet the FMLA requirements there are some states that also don't have benefits so what are, are are there it's a two-part question are there any pieces of legislation that work to improve these resources provided by the government that you're aware of so that someone isn't restricted by the number of employees their company has in order to receive fmla and or what would you say to someone who is maybe a a team of one in HR or a part of a small business that doesn't have leave uh, uh, offerings yet or is not eligible for FMLA? How do they deal with this?
1: I don't know of any current legislation to try to change that at all. Um, Sometimes I think smaller companies, let's say 20 employees, they have the ability to know each other better and maybe know their struggles. So I have seen it where individuals, they, the companies are more willing to work with them and maybe let them have like a little short term type of leave. Mm-hmm. And then there are some companies that, you know, we need to you hear you're an essential part of this. So, unfortunately, for small companies, it can be a challenge or it can be an opportunity. Right. It's all in how you look at it and what your boss or your company is willing to do. But unfortunately, those with, what is it, 50 and under?
0: 50 and under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah yeah and most i think i don't remember the statistic exactly but the majority of businesses in the united states are small businesses so under 100 employees and i don't know the exact number or percentage of companies or businesses that are below 50 but i know from even just outreach and dms from listeners that so many people work for these small mom and pop or 10 and under type businesses where they are limited in their resources, but I wonder if there. I mean, of course, we always see legislation coming through. There's even new legislation around um, pregnancy and how women who are pregnant are protected in the workforce. So I'm sure that through advocacy and other measures, that we'll continue to see government offerings improve. Um, you know, the, the biggest challenge is really at the state level because that's where if someone lives. Mm-hmm in a state like we can take for example um you know uh maternity benefits in New York and New Jersey and California you have some of the best maternity benefits state provided and then you look at um you know other states like Ohio where there's no paid benefit there might be time off but there's no paid benefit and so you know i think this is where people who might be dealing with chronic illnesses could advocate for themselves, whether it is in the workplace or maybe even through other efforts with their um, local or state politicians to try and change the trajectory of decisions that are made. I mean, we see this all the time in HR. It's like you're constantly having to advocate for the business, constantly having to advocate for employees. And it's really kind of the same thing when you mentioned even advocating for yourself or, you know, your clients mm-hmm. having to advocate for themselves. It's all how you see it, whether it's, you know, advocating for government change or advocating for your company and your business, your employer, I should say, to rethink the way that they support their employees.
1: Yep. And we've seen that in the past, you know, when um, service member leave and stuff came up on FMLA, you know, when people, when the world was changing where more people are getting called up for active duty and serving and all that. And then with COVID, we saw FMLA change with the COVID leave. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that there isn't that opportunity. It's just, like you said, we need to get in there and advocate. And I know there is um, a couple Women that I know through fibromyalgia that go to D.C. at least once a year and advocate with uh, the senators and stuff back at, at the back there. So it, it is happening, um, but I just haven't seen, <clears throat> excuse me, some of those changes yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because when you first shared that statistic, you know, six out of ten individuals dealing with chronic illness, I was even surprised that it was so high, you know, 60% of, of the room, if you have 10 people in a room, 60% of them, you know, they're, they're going to have a chronic illness. That's, that's pretty significant. So I would imagine that as employees become more vocal and Mm -hmm. more, um, more open about what they need, that maybe then it's not as shocking even for someone in my situation that where I try to be as knowledgeable about certain things and, and, you know, topics and how the workplace is affected, how people are affected. Right. I could imagine that most people probably don't know that this is, you know, a large majority of people dealing with chronic illnesses. So I really appreciate you sharing all of not only your own experience and insights, but also what we can do differently Mm -hmm. to support, one another and support people in the workplace. And so with that, I would love to kind of ask you one final question here and round us out. Um, And that is kind of coming back to these recommendations, which I know you already made some. Um, If someone's listening and they're like, my company definitely is not doing enough to support people out there. If there is someone or multiple people dealing with chronic illness, what is something that you would say they should start with like what is the highest priority highest ticket item that could help them bring more inclusivity and more awareness to their workplace
1: you know i think for me just because this is my personality i think that you need to do the training with the management staff on exactly what your policies and and how to go like Don't write a note that Susie needs FMLA and don't find it for six weeks. You Mm -hmm. know, there's guidelines within within that. Train them and have them get to know their staff that reports directly to them. Because once you build that rapport, they're going to be more open with you and you're going to know what to do to help them.
0: Got it. Yeah. Training is so important as you've mentioned a number of times now on the podcast. I mean, it's, we, I think training is often very overlooked, very much
1: overlooked. Yeah. And people are like, Oh, we got to do training. You know, how are we going to (laughs) fit this in? You know, we're already doing so much with less people, but it is so important to just take that time. It'll save you dollar wise. I mean, if you come in and they do an audit of your company, I mean they can start a, a base of $125,000 fines. I mean, mm. think of that.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so. that's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Julie, thank you so much again for joining the podcast. Where can everyone learn more about you, what you do, and read your book?
1: Well, my book is available on Amazon. Um again, it is chronic illness at work how managers can support employees with chronic illness they can email me at j at coachingpi.com and the pi stands for positive influence because so many of us with chronic illness can be negative and i don't allow that when i'm coaching or they can go to my website which is coachingpi.com
0: amazing. Well, Julie, thank you so much again. And thank you for being so open and sharing
1: your own experience. We appreciate you. you. Thank you you for having me. I enjoyed it. Of course.
0: Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week and maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.